All right. Well, good morning, everybody. I, uh, my name is Jake. I'm the uh, lead pastor here. I didn't introduce myself earlier, but uh, if you're visiting for the first time, we're so glad that you're here and uh, looking forward to our time together for the rest of this morning. Um, so last week, I watched uh, the movie Air for the first time. And uh, I really, really loved it. It's, the movie is all about how Nike pursued Michael Jordan in order to sign him to a shoe deal. And uh, I'm sure for many of y'all, that does not sound like a riveting plot for a movie. But like I said, I, I really enjoyed it. The reason why is because uh, when I was younger, I was a huge uh, fan of Michael Jordan. In fact, I wanted to be like Mike, as the famous Gatorade song goes. You know, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. I won't won't sing the whole thing for you. I know you want me to, but I won't. But, uh, you know, that, uh, in fact, the movie air, uh, it ends with the credits rolling, that song playing. Um, I've told you all this before. Some of y'all know this already about me. But, like, uh, when I was younger, when I was, like, in middle school, I, uh, I mean, I was, like I said, a huge fan. I really wanted to be like Mike. I watched this documentary, and in it, it started off with uh, kind of telling Michael Jordan's story when he was younger and how he got cut from the varsity team and all the things that he did in order to, uh, you know, make the team and to get better and eventually become the best NBA player ever. And so I watched that doc- documentary, and I thought, okay, if I want to be like Mike, I better start doing the things that Michael Jordan did when he was young. And so I did. I started doing that. Even some of the ridiculous things, things like uh, Jordan would, according to the documentary, he would go to a playground and he would hang upside down on the monkey bars because he was trying to get taller. And he thought he, it would cause him to grow if he could just hang on the monkey bars. So I thought, well, I need to get taller. So I went and did what Jordan did. And I hung on the monkey bars upside down and not just once, but multiple times. I'm not too embarrassed to share that with you. And then uh, Jordan also, he would take his basketball with him wherever he went, even sleeping with it. And so that's what I began to do. I just carried my basketball all the time, dribbling all the time, sleeping with it in my bed. And then of course, Michael Jordan, he just practiced nonstop. And so I just began practicing nonstop for a little while. But then it got tiresome, and I I quit doing a lot of those things, and that's why I'm not in the NBA. I'm sure that's the only reason why I'm not in the NBA. But uh, here's my point. When I I was younger, when I was 12, 13 years old, it it just rashly, it, it made sense to me that if I wanted to be like Mike, then I needed to start doing the things that Mike did. I needed to adopt the lifestyle of Michael Jordan. In order to become like him, I better do the things that he did. That was just really clear to me. What also became clear to me is that uh, that wasn't going to be enough. I also needed something supernatural to take place to really make me like Mike. Well, um, as a church, our big prayer is to see the day when uh, God's kingdom comes and his will is done in Austin as it is in heaven. And we recognize that one of the ways that we can partner with God in that to see Austin become more like heaven is by each of us becoming more and more like Jesus. For as we become more like Jesus, more loving 
and compassionate and kind and servant-hearted and generous and full of joy and peace and grace and truth, that will impact the people around us. And Austin will become more like heaven. But how is that going to happen? How are we going to become more and more like Jesus? Well, friends, it's by actually taking up the lifestyle of Jesus. We'll become like Jesus when we start doing the things that Jesus did. We practice the way of Jesus. And something really supernatural must take place, right? But listen, hear this. This is, this is like the secret sauce right here, okay? It's something supernatural really does take place as we practice the way of Jesus. And here's why. It's because Jesus' way of life he mod- in that, he modeled for us how to live in constant communion with and in the presence of God. For Jesus, the Father and the Spirit, the two other members of the Trinity, but he modeled that for us so that when we practice Jesus' way, we live according to his lifestyle, we do the things that Jesus did, we will live in a way that leads us to be in a, a state of communion and presence and awareness, or to use Jesus' term in John 15, abiding with God. And when we abide in him, the Spirit does his work in our life. That's the supernatural part. And he produces his life in us, the fruit of his life in us. Things like what? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. You see, it's by practicing the way of Jesus that we become like Jesus because in doing so, we commune with God, we abide in God, and he produces his life in us, making us more and more like Christ, and that resulting in our city and our families and our workplaces becoming more and more like heaven. See, that, that's why, as Alice said earlier, our, our church is built around this idea of practicing the way of Jesus together in Austin. It's because um, this is where the money is. This is where we get to be how we get to become more and more like Jesus. And so this is also why uh, three times a year, we, we take a, a period of time and we just drill down on a certain practice from the life of Jesus. And so last Sunday, we, we began doing that for our summer practice, which is the practice of Sabbath. And the hope is, is as we focus on this practice from the life of Jesus, we all will actually put it into practice. That the, the goal here isn't just so you to, to learn, oh, Jesus practiced Sabbath. Okay, that's interesting. Now I know that. No, it's, it's for us to be, to actually adopt that practice as our own, for us to do what Jesus did to adopt his lifestyle as our own. And so the, the, the encouragement to y'all this during this season, and, and for me as well, it's just to continue or to begin practicing Sabbath, okay? So Sabbath, said this last week, uh, Sabbath is uh, the, the Hebrew word 
uh, or we get the word Sabbath from the Hebrew word Shabbat. And it just literally means to stop or to cease or to be done. But it also carries with it the meaning to stop in order to, in order to rest and to delight and to worship. And so in this series on Sabbath, what we're doing is we're drilling down on each of those elements of the Sabbath one week at a time. So last week was on stop, and today we're focusing on rest. Perhaps Jesus' most famous, or at least one of his most famous invitations is found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. There, uh, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. How awesome is that? I love uh, Pastor Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this found in the, in the message, but he paraphrases Jesus' invitation here in Matthew 11 this way. He says, uh, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love that. However you translate this uh, uh, Jesus invitation here in Matthew 11, what's, what's really clear is that his desire is to give us rest and the way to enter into the rest that he offers is by learning from his way of life, staying in step with him, keeping company with him. For he's not out to just heap heavy burdens on us to to make us do more and more and more. No, no, he's for our rest. How beautiful is that, that that's God's heart towards us, that he's for our rest. If you think about it, you think, okay, well, what does that actually look like? Like practically, what, what is this rest? Like what, what does that even mean? What is this, what, you know, get a little bit more practical. Well, I think what this looks like, at, at least in part, is that it looks like following Jesus into the practice of the Sabbath, actually practicing the Sabbath. Now, uh, and I say that because the connection that Matthew makes between Jesus' imitation and where he goes next in the book of Matthew. See, if you take all of the headings and the chapter numbers and verse numbers out of the picture and you just were to read through Matthew just as he originally wrote it, because all those you know, breaks and headings and all that stuff was added later, right? This, this is how it would read. It would read uh, Jesus saying, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. It's a very strong connection, flow of thought there. If you keep reading through the next uh, 13 verses in Matthew chapter 12, what you'll see is that it, it, there's two stories of things that took place on the Sabbath 
during Jesus' ministry. And uh, you would see that the word Sabbath is actually repeated eight times in those 14 verses. Like, keep it saying it over, like trying to draw a connection here. And you'll see that in those verses, Jesus makes the uh, bold claim, strong claim, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. See, I don't think any of that's a coincidence. I think Matthew, the biographer, writing on the life of Jesus is trying to help us connect the dots really clearly between Jesus' offer of rest and the Sabbath. But you might think, okay, well, what exactly is the connection? Trying to get us to connect those dots, but what, like, where is, is the connection just simply that if we follow Jesus, then we'll take a, one day a week to rest? Well, I think yes, but not only that. I think that yes, but only in part. Because, friends, uh, the, the, uh, the Sabbath is uh, not just a day when we stop and rest. It's also a day intended by God to remind us why we can stop and rest. See, the Sabbath is not just a day when we stop and rest, but it's a day intended by God to remind us why we can stop and rest. See, the Sabbath day brings rest to our bodies, but when we use the Sabbath day to remember why we can rest, it also brings rest to our souls. Um, To unpack this idea, go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5, okay? Uh, you can go there, or you can follow along with the words up on the screen. But as uh, we, before I read from Deuteronomy 5, let me give you a little uh, Bible trivia. Did you know um, that in the first five books of the Old Testament, the uh, Ten Commandments are actually given twice? Did you know that? You can tuck that away for a little Bible trivia. Uh, the first time it's given in, is in Exodus chapter 20. We looked at that last week. And Exodus 20 takes place on, like the Israelites are at the foot of Mount Sinai. It takes place soon after they had been rescued by God out of Egypt. And, uh, and God gives them the Ten Commandments for the first time. The second time that they're given is uh, found here in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And uh, Israel is, is soon to cross the Jordan River and enter into the Promised Land. And so uh, there is 40 years that have gone by since the first time the Ten Commandments were given in Exodus 20 and this time when it's given in Deuteronomy 5. And what that means is that this is a restatement of the Ten Commandments to a new generation, right? To, to, to people who either were young when they were first given or not even born yet. And what you have is that all of the Ten Commandments are the same, same 10, but what's interesting is that when you get to the command about the Sabbath, the fourth command, there's some pretty big differences. Let me, let me read, read it for you, and then I'll point them out. Deuteronomy 5, we're going to pick up in verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, not, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may 
rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Okay, there are uh, two uh, significant changes that take place in, in the Deuteronomy 5 giving of the Sabbath command compared to the Exodus 21. The first, the first one is how the commands actually begin. See, uh, the command in Exodus 20 is to uh, remember the Sabbath day. But the command in Deuteronomy 5 is to observe the Sabbath day. Now, that, and that might not feel like a big, a really big difference, right? But it's helpful to remember, like I said last week, the word remember in Hebrew doesn't just mean to recall. It means to make something so central to your consciousness that it controls how you live at all times. But the word observe here in the Hebrew is the word shamar, and it means to guard or to protect. To guard or to protect. And see, this is, a, this is a command to actually uh, look out over, to watch out over, to guard the, the day so that it does not become like any other ordinary day. I mean, think about how we um, observe a holiday, like Christmas or Easter, right? What, what do we do? Well, we, we set that day aside we do a lot of pre preparation for that day to make it special. We guard it from other things encroaching upon that day. We observe a holiday. Well, here it's as if God's saying, hey, the, 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 the Sabbath, it's a weekly holiday. You, you, it's a day to rest. And so you need to guard it. You need to protect it so that you will rest on it. That's the first difference. The second difference that's found between Deuteronomy, uh, De I mean, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 is how the command ends. And this is a huge difference. See, in Exodus chapter 20, the uh, command ends in this way. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. But in Deuteronomy 5, the command ends with this. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. See a little bit of a change there? Of course. See, uh, what you have here is the same command, but a different rationale for why to keep it. In Exodus, the rationale is grounded in the story of creation, for in six days God created. But here, in Deuteronomy, the rationale is grounded in the story of liberation, you were slaves in Egypt, but you're not slaves anymore. See, uh, in Exodus, Sabbath is about rhythm, that we are to Sabbath because it's the life-giving weekly rhythm that God has sown into creation, as we talked about last week. 
But here in Deuteronomy, Sabbath is about freedom. That we are able to Sabbath because God has set us free from what has enslaved us. And so in context, in Deuteronomy, Moses gives the Ten Commandments again to a, a generation that had not been slaves in Egypt. But he's saying to them, hey, remember that your ancestors were slaves. And remember that as slaves, they had absolutely no opportunity to rest. For, the, uh, for in Egypt, the Israelites were slaves to a cruel Pharaoh who was driven by the desire for more and more and more, which resulted in the absence of rest for the Israelites. See, in Exodus 5, we're given a uh, kind of snapshot, a little picture of uh, Pharaoh and his drive for more and more and more and the, the, the resulting restlessness or lack of rest for the Israelites. Um, just to read a few of the things that he says in Exodus 5 for us. He says, uh, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Or uh, make the work harder for the people so that they keep working. Or Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. Get the, get the picture here? Uh, Pharaoh was a cruel king. No matter how hard the Hebrews worked, it was never enough. They lived under the oppressive yoke of the daily quota. More, more, more. Why? Well, because Pharaoh was driven to build a name for himself and according to Exodus 1, wanted uh, the Israelites to help him build supply cities to store all of the king's extra stuff. See, uh, Pharaoh's desire for more and more and more resulted in no rest for the Israelite slaves. They were forced to work all day, every day, until they died. But rest is what comes when you are set free by God. Rest is what comes when you are set free by God, the true and righteous King. See, rest was made possible by God who worked on their behalf, who set them free by his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. For he is a king who didn't force them to do more and more and more, but intended to uh, make the way or instead made the way for them to be able to rest. And friends, Sabbath, the practice of Sabbath, the weekly rhythm of Sabbath, Sabbath was, was given to them to help them remember that and experience it. To help them remember that they are no longer slaves anymore because of what God has done on their behalf so they can rest. And then to help them experience that rest by every seventh day stopping and enjoying the rest that was won for them by the God who worked on their behalf.
good for Israel, right? I mean, what does that have to do with any of us? Is that what you're thinking? Like, that's great. I'm glad that they got to do that. Um, Now, I I tell you all that because, uh, friends, just as the Israelites needed the weekly reminder that they had been set free by God and the weekly joy of actually experiencing a taste of that freedom by resting on the Sabbath, friends, we need that too. We need that too. See, uh, in the literary design of the Bible, Egypt is an archetype, similar to how uh, to Babylon as well, if you're familiar with Scripture. And, uh, of course, I mean, Egypt was a real empire, absolutely, we know that. But it was also symbolic of all empires down through time. For example, what's on the back of our $1 bill? A pyramid, right? A pyramid. Why a pyramid? Because, well, a pyramid is a symbol of empire. Now, on the $1 bill, it's a pyramid that has 13 levels to it, 13 being representative of the 13 colonies. But between the top of the pyramid, uh, there, there's a break. There's, there's a, you know, there's, it's unfinished, which symbolizes America's desire for more to accumulate more, to accomplish more. See, uh, Egypt and modern America are both nations marked by an insatiable and often unchecked desire for more. And as a result of that desire, we hardly ever, ever stop. Do you know that on average, Americans work more than any other nation in the world? Um, and let me just be real clear. That's not a brag. That's, that's a, not a good thing, okay? <laughs> uh, in Japan, there's actually a word that they have for death by overwork. It's the word kuroshi, which I'm sure I just completely butchered. But... Um, that they have, a, they have a word for death by overwork. We don't have such a word. And yet in America, on average, we work more than, uh, we work 137 more hours per year than those in Japan. Uh, we work 260 more hours per year than, than the Brits. And we work uh, 499 more hours per year than the French. And so we should all move there because that sounds awesome. So we work, we work and work and work. We work more than anyone else. And uh, also, we uh, have more than we have ever had before, okay? And so conservative estimates say that we now spend two to four times more on goods and services than our ancestors did back in 1945, Our homes are three times larger and full of more than twice as many things. The average home in America has over 300,000 items in it. Average home in America. Here in the U.S., we don't have supply cities like in Egypt, but we do have 2.3 billion square feet of self-storage space, which shakes out to be about 7.3 square feet feet for every person in our nation. But in spite of all of that, we're unhappier 
than ever before. Sociologists tell us that the happiness levels in the West hit a peak in the 1950s and have been in decline ever since. So we, just to sum all that up, we work more than ever before, we have more than ever before, and we are unhappier than we were. But we keep living that way. We keep doing it. Why is that? Well, it's because, friends, at least in part, it's because we have been formed by the culture that we live in. That as a church, we're trying to help each other be formed by the life of Jesus, by practicing his ways. But the reality is just by simply waking up in the morning and going about our days, we are under the formational forces of our world and our culture, and it has an effect on us. And we have been formed to live this kind of way. We've been taught to believe that we have to work those extra hours to get ahead, to reach a standard of living, to be happy, that we have to own X number of shoes or X amount of square feet. But friends, that is no way to live. To uh, quote an old song to you, uh, that's a bittersweet symphony, that life trying to make ends meet. You're a slave to the money, and then you die. But friends, what if, what if as followers of Jesus, we lived in light of the reality that we have been set free, that we do not need to live as slaves to the dollar or to the culture or even to our own inner desires for more and more and more? What if if we actually believed what Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6, when he says, hey, you don't need to worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you will wear. And he tells us we don't have to worry because the Father loves us that we are valuable in his eyes, that we matter much to him. And therefore, he he knows what we need. And therefore, because of that, we can seek first his kingdom and his righteousness instead of chasing after all this other stuff. And in doing so, as we seek first his kingdom, we live according to him, the true king. And what does the true king say to us? He says, I want you, I want you to rest. What if we live that way? See, friends, Sabbath is a practice that helps us remember that we do not need to live as slaves to the dollar or to our culture. By practicing the Sabbath, it's, it's a way to break our addiction to the twin gods of the West, the gods of accomplishment and accumulation. Not that accomplishment and accumulation are always evil or wrong. There's some good there, but hey, there is a limit, is there not? At some point, we need to draw a line in the sand that says, you know, this far, but no further. I do not need to work more hours. I do not need to make more money. I do not need that perfect grade or that perfect body or the perfect yard. I do not need to earn my father's approval 
or my boss's approval or my peer's approval for it. I already have the approval of my heavenly father who worked on my behalf in order to secure it for me. And so I am free. I have all that I need to thrive with God in this world because of who God is and what he has done for me. For the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Yeah, I belong to a new kingdom with a new king. So I do not need to live as a slave. I am free to rest. Now, um, if we're going to live that way, friends, just to point this out, it, it means that in order to actually practice Sabbath and to enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ, it, we're going to have to resist the forces that keep us from rest. For though we have been set free, we still live in a world that seeks to enslave us. The culture all around us is a Sabbathless, rhythmless, hollow out your soul kind of culture. And so the Sabbath, it's going to require intentionality and preparation and a resolute determination to go against the flow of our cultural tide. We're going to have to live differently. We're going to have to observe the Sabbath. We're going to have to guard it and protect it. And to rest, we're going to have to resist the internal dynamics of restlessness and our own fallen hearts as well. The, those, those desires within us that have the power to enslave us. Things like greed and envy and discontentment and anxiety and pride and addiction and on and on. But friends, this is why we are wise to observe the Sabbath. See, to prepare for the day and to guard it, uh, guard it so that we will actually rest. For hear this, as we guard the Sabbath, the Sabbath will help us guard against, or you could say resist, being enslaved by the restlessness of our culture and our own heart. That's driven by that desire for more and more. And more. For uh, as we observe the Sabbath, we will be reminded weekly that we are not slaves. See, Sabbath rest is your secret weapon in the struggle against powers of the age and the cravings of our flesh. And so as we take a day to remember what God has done for us and to recognize that in Him we have enough, we will find rest not just for our body, but also. For our souls. Uh, Practically speaking, uh, personally, one of the things that this looks like for me on the Sabbath is that I I try to avoid doing things that make me want more and more on the Sabbath day. I'll actually uh, refuse to shop on the Sabbath, which I will granted. Not really hard for me, not the Sabbath. I'm not much of a shopper, you know. Uh, I let Krista pick out all my clothes and do all that stuff. But, um, but there are things you do that you kind of awakens you to wanting more, things that you don't have and that kind of stuff. And I just try to avoid doing those things. And instead, on the Sabbath, I intentionally take time to just uh, practice gratitude. 
you know, to, to, to give thanks to God for the good gifts that he's given me to, to do, uh, you know, to, to take time to acknowledge that he's the good father who provides what I need and to so much more than that as well. And uh, in doing so, friends, it's done wonders for my soul. As I shared last week, the practice of Sabbath has been so good for me. And this part, especially, just to, 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 to say no to the, to the desire for more and more and more and to not be enslaved, but to remember what I've been given by God and the rest that he's provided me and to be thankful for those good gifts. It's led to me growing and gratitude, thankfulness, peace, growing in uh, being content and at rest. And friends, I think as you practice the way of Jesus as well in this way, it, it will have the same effect on you too. So uh, I want to call all of you this morning to remember, you're not a slave. God is your king, and he's nothing like Pharaoh. He's a Sabbath-keeping, Sabbath-commanding, rest-inviting God. That Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he's offering you rest for your souls. And I hope you'll take him up on it and resist the pull of the world and our flesh to run after more and more and more so that you can enter into the rest that he secured for us. Uh, toward that end, every week during this series, and hopefully it will last beyond this series, but every week the, 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 the practical application here is for you to, to practice Sabbath, to take a, a day this week and to actually Sabbath. And on that day, to, to reflect on why we're able to do that because of what God has done for us. But in this Sabbath practice guide, which uh, if you don't have one of these or you lost yours, you can get, some in the lo- get one in the lobby. I really encourage you to pick it up because uh, to help you actually practice the Sabbath, there are tips in here of how to, um, you know, steps to take. And this week, the practical steps that we want you to take besides just taking a day to Sabbath is to prepare for that day. And there are tips in here to help you uh, prepare. They're very practical, but they, they'll help you observe the Sabbath to prepare for the day. In addition, there's one other exercise on here, and that is uh, an exercise that will help you prepare to resist, where you identify a few things that you will choose to say no to on your Sabbath day so it doesn't rob you of the rest of that day. And so I really want to encourage you to pick this up, follow along with us, and, and put these exercises into practice because that is practically how we practice the way of Jesus. And to bring them to your MC so that you can have this conversation together as MC so that we are practicing the way of Jesus together in Austin. Sound good? Y'all with me? Okay. Well, um, thanks for... Uh, handling the, uh, trying to at least pay attention during distractions this morning. I hope that you, you can also get the podcast at if you missed anything, but uh, I, I think that there's an illustration there. I just, uh, friends, there are so many distractions 
that can keep us from Sabbathing. We have to observe it. We have to guard it. We have to protect it. We need to prepare. We need to resist the other things that can enslave us to walk in the freedom that we have in God, the one who says, come and have rest. So as we end, we're going to end by taking communion together as we do each Sunday here in the service you can go and begin passing out the elements. But uh, I want to, communion is a, a very fitting way to end this message because when we partake in communion together, what we're doing is we're remembering what Jesus did for us to set us free when we were slaves to sin. And in communion, what we are doing is we are remembering how on the cross Jesus died so that we could be set free. We're remembering how he fought for us, but not with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, but with nail-pierced hands and outstretched arms. See, friends, because of what Jesus did for us, in order to set us free, we can rest. Think about Galatians 5, verse 1, which says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, like resist, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. See, we can stand firm And we can resist the yoke of slavery because of Jesus. That we don't have to work and work and work to earn God's acceptance. And we don't have to accomplish and accumulate more and more to prove our worth or feel secure. For on the cross, Jesus reconciled us to God. And he declared that we matter much to him. That we are loved by God even when we were enslaved to sin. And so now through faith in him, We can enter into the freedom and the life and the rest that he has secured for us through his victory over sin and death. See, friends, it's because of Jesus we're not slaves anymore. We've been set free so we can rest. So as we take communion together in a minute, let us remember that and rejoice in it. See, it's because of what Christ did on the cross that we're all invited to come to him. All of us who are burdened and weary.